This is Humans of Non-League, a podcast about people who live and love football outside the spotlight. My name is Chris Nee, and this week's Human is a multi-talented media professional who's been able to bring his considerable skills not only into football, but directly into a non-league football club. Seb White is the media director at Hampton and Richmond Borough, and is responsible in large part for Mundial, one of the leading titles football culture has to offer. Seb, welcome to the show. Oh, that's an introduction. Thank you very much. Uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's always nice to hear. Uh, yeah, I have so many different hats at the moment. It's nice to hear hear it all laid out like that. So yeah, thanks very much for asking me. And um, I'm I'm a sucker for non-league football, so I will talk about non-league football to to most people. But thanks very much for asking. Perfect. Well, those aren't all your hats, which we'll come on to. But I want to start near enough at the beginning. Where does the Seb White story start? Where did you grow up? Yeah, I was born and bred in uh, Somerset, deepest, darkest Somerset, in a in a market town called Yeovil, uh, which also happened to have uh, a fairly successful non-league football team, uh, certainly successful in the FA Cup. Still the um, the most uh, football league teams beaten by a non-league team is a record held by Yeovil Town Football Club. But yeah, as a result, um, and I, I lived across, literally across the bridge from the old ground and my school was right opposite um, the old ground or what people will know as Hewish. Uh, and the sloping pitch, which may some people will remember from various news reports from back in the day of, of Yeovil conquering league giants, including Sunderland in 1948 and 1949, which is arguably the greatest FA Cup shock uh, there's ever been. But um, yeah, as is, as is everything in football, that is up for debate, but I'll certainly take that. But yeah, so that's how it all started for me. My granddad took me, my dad took me. Um, and it all went from there, really. And, and Yeovil Town were a non-league side, and they were considered one of the big non-league sides. We'd get crowds of 1,500 to 2,000, which fairly big in those days, on average. But for big games like QPR and the FA Cup in 1988, it was a it was a sellout. And I think I think that was around 12,000, 13,000, something like that. So the, the town always came alive for FA Cup. But yeah, I was I was there week in, week out with my, um, my granddad or my dad, or, or both, or my brother as well. And... Um, that's really where everything started for me, not just in terms of my hobby, but um, I'm sure I can trace everything back to what I do now, back to those those days at Hewish. Were you a keen writer or creator when you were a kid? Uh, yeah, I think looking back on it, I used to do little things. Uh, I used to like make sort of my own match day programs and 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 things like that, and um, cut sh- my shoot magazines up and my uh, ninety minutes magazines, and then which then went into four four two and cut them up and make, I think, make, yeah, make things. I used to try and design football kits. I mean, this is obviously all computer, so it was all very much scissors and print stick. I, I got into When Saturday Comes quite early on, earlier on than perhaps most people do. I think maybe 12 around then. I remember John Barnes' cover with, and I just, and, and my dad used to go and watch uh, Manchester United and would bring back sort of these mad fanzines, you know, and Probably shouldn't have been reading them when I was 12 years old. I think anyone, you know, looking back at old United we stands and red issues, they were a little bit um, advanced for probably for a 12-year-old or young younger lad. But I just sort of got in. Yeah, I would just consume anything about football. And I know it makes me sound like a really old 40-year-old, which I am now, and I have to accept that reality. But things things were so different. We, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have the, all that sort of thing. So... The guy across the road used to give me his copy of World Soccer. I subscribed to, or say subscribe, picked up the copy of Shoot magazine at the, at the end of the road. Dad used, my dad and uh, stepdad used to buy the paper every day, and that's how you consume football. Teletext was another way of consuming consuming the game, shall we say? Uh, so yeah, it was just very different, and I think it, yeah, I just I just wanted to consume any way I could really, and I think it sort of stuck really, and 
and I'm a bit of, and even at that young early age, and I think I probably got it from my dad because I read all my dad's goal magazines or Charles Book and Monthly and maybe even from my granddad and even the old programmes. They collected them and kept them all and, and passed them on to me. So I did the same. They're, they're all still sat in my garage, you know, all my old shoot magazines and, and any magazines I've pretty much bought then, much to the annoyance of my uh, my wife, um, <laughs> which is, and I, I, I totally get it. But yeah, I think it's just stuck with me and... I think that has sort of led me down a, a various paths that I've gone on, on to. But I suppose the one the one that really, you know, apart from writing the odd letter to 90 Minutes or Shoot Magazine or stuff like that, and a couple of them were printed and, and, and things, my, 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 in my writing, I think, or, or sort of creatively, that the first real sort of uh, germination of all that um, consuming mag, football magazines and, and consuming football, how I'd, I'd done was probably when I started the uh, Yeovil Town fanzine when I was, when was it, 2002. So I was still 20, you know, 21. I, it, I was, I think I mainly, I did what any 18, 19, 20 year old had done to that, at that point and read, uh, you know, and, and just enjoyed uh, the, the adult life, uh, enjoyed alcohol, enjoyed going to games and stuff like that. So creatively it didn't quite hit. But when I went to university, I felt a real attachment to Yeovil Town because I was away in Manchester and I think it started from there really and I just decided to do a we were doing quite well at the time most fanzines start from a um from a hardship or anything some you know certainly the ones in the early days started from a rallying call against various things that were going wrong in football at the time but the Oval Town fanzine onto victory which we started very much started at a great period of period of the t- uh for the football club we were you know it was a we did it for the FA trophy final which is obviously the non-league league cup so to speak and it's something that I'd always always wanted um Yeovil to do well in because you know we weren't going to get promoted we never we weren't that ever that close to getting promoted into the football league to be fair that process was only had only happened I think 1988 87 so it'd only been a recent thing you know but we'd never been close to promotion but I'd always hoped and we'd always dreamed that Yeovil would one day play at the famous Wembley Stadium of course, the one time we do get to the final of the FA Trophy, um, when we stadiums getting knocked down, so <laughs> we played it at Villa Park. But it felt like there was fifteen. There was going to be around ten to fifteen thousand, and we thought we'd try and capture a little bit of that, and and also capture the the burgeoning, shall we say, internet scene uh, on you know, online scene that uh, Yeovil Town did have at the time. You know, we had a a website, an amazingly well-known, uh, well-named, should I say, website called Ciderspace rather than Cyberspace, which um, which obviously just was quite big, I think, not just in Yeovil Town circles, but quite big in non-league circles. And so we were able to tap into that, really, and say, we're going to do a fanzine for the, for the game. We turned up to Villa Park, uh, a few cans on the way, with a bag of 500 fanzines, and they were all gone by... Oh, they were all gone by... Uh, 10 past two so we were able to go go in the ground and, and then watch us win the FA Trophy and the following season we we actually won the league in the in the conference um which was incredible um and Yeovil Town became a football league club and uh, little did I know at that time that's when when things might have changed no longer term I wasn't to know it then but things were going to change from that point but yeah that's where my creative side of things happened and off the back of that I started writing for a Various fanzines. Uh, I think there was a great Wigan one called Cockney Latic, which is now the Mud Hut of Football Express. Uh, I did a couple of articles for United We Stand. I got to know a few people through um, working at sports pages in Manchester when I was at university. So I started to write a lot more. Uh, and then, yeah, the rest, they say, as they say, is history. I'm going to pull together three of the things you've mentioned there. 
The first one being the fanzine, the second being the internet and football fan culture, and the third one being Villa Park. And a lot of what I learned about being a football supporter in the 1990s and actually being around football culture in general came from being a 10, 11, 12-year-old reader of Heroes and Villains at the Villa. So I think it's really interesting that the way football discussion has changed in the last 10 years since the fanzine has started to die out as a guaranteed paper copy at a game phenomenon has been a lot quicker than it changed in the 10 or 15 years before that. So do you think the generation after ours is missing out on some part of being a football supporter because they don't have that experience? Yeah, I mean, I think so, personally. Yeah, I think so. I think, um, yeah, like I said, I got into When Saturday Comes early and that was obviously a that was a national fanzine. It was very much the fanzine spirit, the fanzine writing and, and still is, you know, to this day, which is fantastic. But yeah, I, I, I believe so because I think... One of the things that I learned by putting our, putting together our own fanzine was that you, it's all well and good. Everyone and this was this was the days when we did it, obviously, of forums and uh, and and you know, social media wasn't a, wasn't a thing as such. I suppose, or unless you can count website forums and things like that as an early form of social media, because it was very social. The element around it, however you want to describe it, but the one thing that you can say about all all those things and uh, around that time is that it was just. You could just write something in and bash it out, couldn't you, on a forum and, and then it would be there and then it would probably disappear and it would just keep going down the thread. And hopefully, you know, if you test something stupid or maybe gone on there after a few too many pints or or if you've maybe perhaps got the wrong end of the stick, you probably wish that it had gone down a bit further. But I think that was that was the thing with with forums and, and, and stuff. So you had that. And then so but when when you took that into a fanzine environment and meant you had to read, you know, you couldn't just post it and then not worry too much about the spelling and worry too much about the point you were making. When you change that around and you have to think about that and when you send it to someone and then it takes them like, you know, you want, you have it in your mind that it needs to be relevant in three, four weeks time when that fanzine is going to be in someone's hand on a cold windswept ground. So it did change. It did change. It was, it made me realise just how important that sort of side of, side of it is. And I think now, if you are to compare those two times, it's very easy for me or for anyone to just either write something very quickly and and it just goes out. And because it, it, obviously it's a shorter form on social media. But at the same time, the British Library have copies of fanzines for a reason, because sooner or later, somewhere someone will want to know about a specific incident or a specific time around the club. And I and they'll look at a fanzine from the time. I don't know if it will be as easy accessible in years to come to do that. What what did Arsenal fans really think? Well, what did Arsenal fans really think in December 2020? I'll tell you what they would. They would just go to the Guna fanzine, which is still going. They'll look at that rather than some uh, half-baked video that um, just is, 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 is intended to get a few clicks and stuff like that. So that's a long way around of me saying that um, I think people are, yeah, people do miss out. But one thing I would just want to quickly say on that, You've seen the rise of a few fanzines in this digital age and because of that. So I think the best example of that for me, just from the outside looking in, was West Ham Boggs, the Barnsley fanzine. There's absolutely no reason why I should know too much about Barnsley Football Club or, or, or how that works or the people involved in Barnsley Football Club. But just through the internet and online, I found out from, you know, found out about West Ham Boggs through internet and online, the people. And I've got good friends off the back of it and I still talk to them and still... So I think that goes to show the power of the fanzine even in this digital age and, and in this online age. 
And, you know, obviously the, the fanzines in this day and age, they might not be able to sell at games and things like that as much, or certainly not in the current climate, but at least they have the option to sell and, and promote their promote their fanzine online. And I've read, you know, Gosport Borough fanzine, one of the guys from Private Life, I think it is, uh, again, just someone who sent me a fanzine and wanted to, me to do an article and I did it, because I thought, fair play to you for doing it in this day and age. We'll come back to your professional life shortly, and when we do, we'll be overlapping with Hampton and Richmond Borough. So... Firstly, how have they been doing these last few years? Probably this year in particular is most interesting. Yeah, this year's been um, tough, like it has been for every non-league club. But um, I think the community aspect of it, like you know, if you not saying all non-league football clubs have it, but they certainly have the option and the potential to have it. It's how how that's harnessed and managed. You know, volunteers have to feel part of it. Volunteers have to feel that those hours that they're spending sweeping the terraces or or putting up something or you know you know what non-league football is all about making the best of what you have and sometimes that's not very much and you need volunteers to do that so I think volunteers at non-league level have to be treated with respect and have to be included in everything and that's one thing that that's one of the reasons I find myself at Hampton and Richmond Borough and I think if you've got that sort of strong base then I think no matter what is thrown at you as this year has shown, no one knows what that can be until it, until it actually happens. Then, then you can you can you can be okay. And I think that translates as well. I think everything off the pitch, what happens off the pitch, is is such a big influence on what happens on it. Even more so, I would argue, in non-league football, because yeah, those those people that you keeps that the keep that feel part of the club will then keep coming back to that club. And every single penny, as we know, that goes through the turnstile, so to speak is absolutely vital. Now, in this time and this recent months, they've not been able to do that, but there are other ways for doing that and there are other ways that people can can be connected to a football club. But yeah, I think, luckily, it's come together quite well uh, despite the, the circumstances for Hampton and Richmond Borough. And just, just before we went into isolation for two weeks after a positive COVID test, we were, we'd won six out of eight and we were, on the, we were in the playoffs and then... Um, then, uh, you know, we're looking looking good, and and that was, that's largely a result of a fantastic manager, but also a group of players that decided to stick with Hampton and Richmond Borough in the summer post lockdown one, and sign back on with us, which again isn't always possible in non league circles because it's expensive, and, and it, you know to get players on contracts and stuff like that. Again, I it, some people when I tell them that how different football is at this level, that it sometimes can be a bit of a shock at them. They expect that these players are getting paid, and you know a lot of these players, some of these players aren't even on contract. They're getting paid for when they play, of course, but they're not actually on a contract as such as what people would know higher up. So, luckily. Uh, not luckily, I think because sometimes you make your own luck and I th- certainly think Gary McCann has made his own luck. He's, he's one of the finest managers at this level and we're, we're extremely lucky to have him and anytime someone in, in our league or the league above loses a manager, I'm always fearful of that call because I think um, he's shown what he can do with limited budget. But luckily we're doing, we're doing well and, we, and, we, and everything was coming together before we got um, stopped temporarily by COVID. How did you first come to be involved there? One of my good friends, Matt, moved to Hampton. I live in Richmond. Um, it's probably, well, it takes me about 45 minutes, 50 minutes to walk it from where I live. So it wasn't exactly like round the corner, I'm just going to go and watch some football. My friend Matt had moved to Hampton a little bit closer and just said, you fancy going along? And purely just tick it off the list. That was honestly, I had no other intentions. I'd become disaffected with Yerbal Town for a huge number of reasons, which... I've mentioned a number of times on various podcasts, which I really I, I get bored of myself of, of saying it. But um, just to go and watch some football and take a ground off a list, I did that. Hampton and Richmond Borough lost 4-0 to Lewis in front of 
450 people on a Tuesday night. The floodlights were on. It looked a great traditional stadium, which or tr- non-league traditional, should I say, stadium. And there was a, a tussle. Let's just say the players had a tussle, a post-match tussle in the in the changing room, which then spilled out into the car park. And I jokingly said to my my friend Matt, "Oh, this is this is quite you know. Obviously, I'm not condoning violence or anything like that, but." It just sort of made us laugh and went, oh, same time again Saturday. And we both went, well, why not? And we came back uh, and the rest is definitely history. And people started to recognise us, as you do at these level. And, you know, there might only be 450 people, but you see the same people. You see this, you know, they see you. You get talking. It just so happened that that was the start of a bit of a resurgence on the pitch for Hampton and Richmond Borough. And they actually made, um, from that point, they ended up going to win... Um, to win the league so obviously that helped a little bit just to sort of ingrain us and and enjoy and then we started going on away games and uh and just ticking off new grounds meeting new people and it just it made me I, I can't lie it made me fall back in love with football from a spectator point of view and and, and I'd fallen back in love with football for you know what for various other other things um Mundial and, and, and the like but it it really made me just yeah enjoy it and, and enjoy that match day experience which and then I joined the supporters trust because I've been a fervent supporter of fan ownership at all football clubs and again influenced by my own experiences at Yeovil Town and but I've always uh, pushed supporters trust movements whether it's on social media or even when, when I during the brief reign of the stand fanzine that we did uh, back in 2010 I think it was I can't remember the dates exactly but so uh, I joined the supporters trust Hampton Richmond Borough it was got a great relationship with the football club and then one thing led to another and I increasingly fell in love with the football club and, and just decided that I wanted to help in any way I re- I could from a, from my perspective from my professional perspective and try and raise awareness of what is a great football club, but also just try and keep the charm and keep the amazing bits of the football club, but also um, progress it and help it progress and help it do the best it possibly can. And whatever that is, is fine. There's no, there's no long-term huge goals of being a football league team or something like that. It would be lovely to get in the conference one year. There's no doubt about it. Um, the national Or the National League, sorry, as, it, as it's now known from the National League South. It would be lovely to do that. And it'd be lovely to pit our wits against full-time opposition and and the like and and see what that journey would involve. But at the same time, it's not the end of the world because um, whatever happens, happens and and football. And, you know, (laughs) crucially, you can't have a pint if you go into the National League. So I I won't lie, having a beer and watching football has been great and it's been a real difference from what I had experienced over, over the last 10, 15 years since I set up, or certainly 10 years since I set up, onto victory the oval fanzine you've mentioned that you fell back in love with the spectator side of things did that make you think twice before getting involved yeah definitely yeah absolutely yeah absolutely because and then i remember john one of the guys that we met a dis- quite early on in the in the pub around the corner a disaffected blackpool fan who hadn't been to blackpool for forever and i just noticed his oyster and out scarf and i started speaking to him and, and and then one thing led to another and me matt and john now are known as known certainly within the club as the three amigos so uh let that say paint the picture and um but he was quite clear like early you know as we were getting deeper and deeper into the fabric of the football club you know it's very easy to do but you know you still want to enjoy the match days you still you know that's why you've enjoyed it and that's why you've enjoyed you know found rediscovered your love of football be careful you don't want to see necessarily too much behind the curtain so I definitely paused and thought about it and really thought about it and I'm not to say it's going to say this is going to be like this forever, but 
the the chairman at the time um, and the support the relationship the supporters trust had with the football club it all fitted very well and I thought well if I'm going to help or get involved in them I'll get involved in them now when the people I relate to the people they're the same as me they're fans that um, want to make the club succeed no one's looking for no one's looking to do anything with the land or anything anything dodgy or anything that I, I'd obviously seen at, at Yeovil Town Football Club um, so I was like, no, these, I, I want to offer what I can offer. And again, I went into it and said, look, I want to help this side of things because that's the way I can, I can help you, you know, the media side of things and, and get, get, hopefully get the club and get the greatness of the club and the fabric of the club and the people of the club in front of more people so that, you know, I'm, I'm, it's not ju- I'm not judging it on anything. I'm not, there's no things like KPIs or anything like that. But if there's another, you know, 50 to 100 people going through the gate when we do get back to some sense of normality, then that would be good enough for me. And it's one of the th- key things that we've tried to do during this whole process of being locked down and not being able to go to games. We said straight away that we wanted to make have a stream that would be free. So people would, you know, we didn't want to have any barriers for entry to getting involved or to get into, get or getting a, a, an affinity with Hampton Richmond Borough Football Club. I'm not expecting people to suddenly, you know, Jump on the on the on the on the wagon and buy the shirt and do all this and and but just have an interest or make people realise how good non-league football is and that's that's why we decided to do the stream for free. Luckily, we were able to do that. And again, this goes back to keeping volunteers engaged, having the right volunteers. We had some technically minded volunteers, and 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 luckily, we all decided. Well, let's just give this a punt. We could have gone with any number of numerous people that were going around emailing us left right and center we can do this we can do that and promising the world and we weren't so sure because I think my background as a tv producer makes me realize how difficult these things are and I didn't want people to be paying for something that wouldn't work essentially and I think we've seen that a lot uh, in with non-league football rec- um, recently it's a shame I, 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 I don't want people to fail but we and we thought well why don't we test something and do it for free for a couple of games and see what happens and Last game we had, we had 750 people watching it from all around the world, uh, which is just ridiculous, really, for an, a, a national league game. But that's what we want, just because hopefully, wherever they're watching it, they'll they'll, they'll realise that non-league or smaller level football is 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 great. And you know, one thing I keep saying is that the football is actually decent. You know, it's not, it's very different, even from when I was watching non-league football in in the late 80s. These players, certainly in the national league south, I can base it on that. that. These players are athletes, skillful footballers who dedicate so much of their time for, you know, 100 quid a week, cover 100 quid a week, you know, and they, they go to training twice a week. They, you know, they pay, they drive there, they, you know, they, they have to wash their own kit and stuff like that. These people are putting so much into it. But as a result, you know, you get decent football. Don't get me wrong. I think we're, we're, we've hit a sweet spot at the moment with Hampton and Richmond Borough. Don't get me wrong. It's not always going to be like that. But anything we can do to try and keep it like that as much as possible is is great. And one time, I'm sure in years to come, we might not have maybe the right manager or the right players, even at this level. it's not We're not always going to have someone like Gary McCann and have this group of players that are going to make it as involved and as meaningful. But, you know, that's what you've got to try and hope for. And football is cyclical as well. So, you know, you've got to accept it. Sometimes it won't be like that. If we go back nine or ten years or so, we get the emergence of Stan fanzine, of which you were fan. Yeah, me and yeah, me and Dan, yeah, who set up Mundial as well. Yeah, yeah. How did that original publication come about? That one just came again, talking about what how good the internet can be in a 
how good the um, how good online can be for a fanzine type of thing. That was that was all through people I met through the internet who seemed to be saying the same things as me. A little bit, our oh, football is you know it's too expensive. How can it cost this much to go to this game? How can it cost this much to to do this? And nowhere had really we. I'd, I'd, so a group of people, a network of people, had sort of I'd gathered them up, and no one had no one had really harnessed this against modern football movement, which is prevalent across all of you know of Europe and certainly Eastern Europe, Italy, and places like that, which I'd seen on my travels. Luckily for my job, the, these people making this AMF or whatever, you, however you want to call it, that tag can sometimes be a bit of a bit of a hindrance in in some sense because you just get naysayers saying, "Well, do you want to come back to, to go back to the bad days of people?" Getting dying in stadiums and police, you know, and not what fans and hooliganism and not wanting to go to games and stuff like that, which is obviously a nonsense. We didn't want that. We just felt that sometimes things had gone too far the other way. Um, you know, safe standing, club ownership had gone too far, and things like that. So that just came about, and we just decided to do it. But again, fanzine wise, we wanted to make sure that it had that sort of rallying call from the fanzines of the late eighties and nineties that we'd read back on and, and looked at. But I think the one thing that became quite obvious and straight away or fairly quickly or certainly a few issues in was I think it just got very tiring to be um so negative all the time shall we say or focus on the negative things it became a chore almost which is a real shame which is obviously not what we wanted it to be we wanted it to be let's enjoy the good things and then off the back of that that's how Mundial came about really it was quite clear that we were um we weren't going to change the world which naively we maybe thought we might be able to when we started stand and why don't we just, in, you know, again, maybe as we were getting a bit older as well. I didn't want to turn into this old man grumbling about the same old things all the time. And we decided, let's celebrate the positives. Let's try and remember why we love football, which is a terrible segue for me to talk about the, the tagline of uh, Mundial magazine, reminding you why you love football. But that, that is generally the case. That's what we wanted to do. And World Cup 2014, who doesn't remember their first World Cup? That was essentially our first, uh, you know, our, our main thing. Who doesn't remember their first World Cup? So let's celebrate the good stuff about the World Cup. Let's forget about the what, the money and the tickets and the fee for this, fee for that, blatter this, blatter that, because it's not going to change anytime soon. Or, you know, and it hasn't, has it? Let's be honest. On hindsight, that was six, six, seven years ago. It's all, well, it's all. The game still has the same old problems, doesn't it? Yeah, and that's and it moved into that. And what was genuinely supposed to be a one-off issue because we all had good jobs, the same sort of network that had its roots in that stand uh, network with the illustrators, the photographers, and that that whole ethos of making it look good as well as just reading reading well and, and, and having interesting articles. We wanted it to look good because I think it's just something that, that's that same group, it's the same, we like, you know, arguably probably spend too much money on expensive jackets, expensive trainers or whatever, and, and that transferred into what we wanted. To, you know, we don't mind paying seven pound for a magazine if, if it looks and feels good that you know that whole aesthetic so it's gone on from there really and uh yeah what was supposed to be a one-off issue that we're 21 issues in now and we're much more than a magazine we're yeah we're doing all manner of things videos podcasts and all that sort of stuff it made me realize the value of print again i think it's fair to say because i think football magazines have changed so much in the intervening years and the fact like you said the fanzine culture had started to change and certainly one of the main reasons we didn't want to do Monday Hours, it wasn't really a magazine that was servicing what we saw football as. There was a lot of magazines out there that were, or a few magazines out there that were servicing football at what they thought brands and sponsors saw the game as. And I just didn't want to read another interview with Rio Ferdinand about what boots he was wearing again without any real substance to it. And that wasn't really, that wasn't how I absorbed football. That wasn't how, you know, what we say about football 
at Mundial is football is so much more than the 90 minutes. It's what happens off the pitch is equally important, whether that's trips abroad to go and see football, which then you experience other cultures and meet new people, or whether that's an expensive jacket or a pair of trainers or you wearing a pair of, you know, you wearing a, a retro football shirt, a five-a-side that doesn't, you know, it's all same, it's all the same to us. We think those things are just as important as articles about, you know, an amazing football team, in, in, a women's football team in Glasgow, which does so much for the community to... You know, a team in a non-league football team at Worthing, for example, we've done, we've covered non-league football every issue. To the bloke who sells pin badges, to you know, it's what we try to do with with what we done in our most recent project, Giant, the podcast. Stories about the woman who first captained Somalian women's national team was just as important to us, and with has just as high production values and everything like that associated with it as it does an interview with the Leeds United captain, as it does with a story about Manchester United v Arsenal, the rivalry the rivalry of the, the 90s and early noughties because somewhere along the line they touch something and they have a human aspect to it that football is the vehicle for it but yeah that's what hopefully we think make people want to hear about and and again I think moving back to what football is like how it's consumed online nowadays with the the fan uh, tv things which are some of them are there for just you know uh, there's not, they're obviously good fan tv uh, companies and and people doing stuff but a lot of it is is awful. You know, there sh- the natural progression should be those people that wanted to do a fanzine and wanted to talk about the important stuff and wanted to, do, you know, re- recollect great stories. They should be doing that in video format. As it is, they just sat around watching a game and shouting a, a TV screen to get numbers and hits, which is a real shame. You've teed me up really nicely here because the bit of Mundial that I'm most professionally interested in is Mundial Studio. What's the thrust behind that? Would you call that a creative agency, creative studio? Yeah, I think so. I think I think we we have maybe the line has been slightly blurred with uh, over in shall we say at the start when we were like a magazine that did do things for brands and did things for um yeah whoever really so it did that line was always a bit blurred because were, were we a magazine that did stuff or were we, were we an agency that did a magazine so when you when you get involved in conversations and again. With with various brands or whoever, you you have to you know you have to be you have to be fairly smart about it. And if we wanted to make this full time, we obviously had to make it pay. And at the end of the day, however much we'd like in 2014, 2015, 2016, just doing a football magazine is not going to pay for a, a team of four or five people. You know, I wish it did. I wish it did. Um, and and unfortunately, it doesn't. So we had to you know to keep the lights on, so to speak, to use a terrible phrase. We we. We had, you know, we started to do work and move, it, not just print stuff, to doing videos again around the stuff outside of football, or even, you know, around fans or around that. And brands came to us and 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 wanted to, you know, we like to think we can tell a good story, uh, except for other people to decide that. But we've had enough feedback and we've had enough um, brands come to us to suggest that we can tell a certain type of story. Of course, what we always try and do with any work we do as an agency from the agency side of things is, would we do this? If Labrooks, Adidas, Puma, whoever, all these people, would we want to do this if they weren't paying us to do it? And the answer always has to be yes, because then you just lose your authenticity. We've turned down a number of things which may have been detrimental business-wise, it may have been de- detrimental long-term-wise, but we turned things down because it didn't really fit what Mundial was about. There was no point us taking things on board that was going to make us the very thing that we were doing Mundial was almost like a riposte to. So... Yeah, it's kept us. It's kept things going. It's it's allowed us to grow. Of course, of course. You know, five years on, we're um we are now. You know, there's a group of seven seven of us now. Unfortunately, we had to 
as any business had to adapt and adjust during um during 2020 but yeah we're the agency side of things is something that we we've we're, we're we always want to increase and we keep going and again working with spotify on on giant is the, is probably the best example of that in more recent times but same with you know we did a great project this year one i'm really proud of despite all the difficulties of not being able to travel which we never envisaged when we did the did the pitch was the city series with adidas and size um adidas originals and, and size so videos on cities and again it's not about the trainer it just happens there's a trainer called johannesburg but let's go and talk about let's go to johannesburg and talk to people about what what johannesburg means to them and then if through the through that they look at the trainer and go yeah we'll have that but that's very much a case for us we like to be remain authentic and i know it's hard and i know we've had various conversations internally and i know some people have said oh you're doing a video with a gambling company or something like that but all our work with labrooks was stuff that we would have made anyway we wanted to make it just so happened that there was a gambling company that were going to pay for it and we live in a world where people people are willing to pay for pay for things and and we want to you know we always try and you know the football club that we set up for last year and um, which was unfortunately a, a victim of of, of covid and 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 20 you know 2020 that was these are the things that we want to try and do and try and make a difference and change you know i can tell you you know if anyone is listening to this and thinking it's an easy way to make loads of money and run off into the sunset of loads of money i can absolutely categorically tell you that's not the case um uh, i, <laughs> I kind of wish it was in one sense but it's it's something that we want to keep improving on and it's something that we believe we can tell stories from fans perspective that brands can then promote and hopefully hopefully push push out and push their message but yeah we, there will be you know hopefully that will continue but obviously like anyone else in any any business not just agencies this last year has been tough uh, money the money's become less you know talk, we had we had prepared for a, a tournament that was going to conclude in this country obviously that when that changes then an international tournament we found you know we did it if anyone went to hotel mundial during the world cup in 2018 in the hottest summer of uh, recent times um then they'll know that how what we could you know events as well that we can do and how how exciting we can make those and make them a bit different than just you know pack loads of people in a room and so we would we were obviously all set to to try and do that again this this summer but unfortunately that that didn't happen because of the c word so yeah it is something that we want to keep we want to keep progressing on and hopefully there might yeah hopefully in the new year there'll be some new things that we can we can move forward on but yeah it's it's tough running you know I'm fully aware how lucky I am to work in football and to work in to work with my friends primarily. That's who my most all the people I work with at Monday are. They're my, they're my best mates, really. So we're incredibly lucky, but um, no one's been immune to how you know we're still a business at heart. You know that that, does, that doesn't change, and and this year's been tough. The City series is some piece of work, but you've got Giant as well, which is your Spotify Originals podcast. It's been a tremendous success. What would you say is the core idea that links the stories that are told there? Oh, that's a good question, that. I would say, and I might have touched on it a little bit, there has to be a human aspect to it. And, and football just happens to be the vehicle for, for those things. Um, every episode, you know, from the first series, which was obviously six 45 to one hour long episodes, to the second series, which is every week, but twenty minute, around 20 minutes. There has to be a human element to it, I think. Um, and... Whether that's Johan Cruyff's final season, that you know, a man who was just absolutely consumed with revenge and and not just revenge, but you know, quality and just the absolute balls and the absolute talent to just go, well, I'll prove you guys wrong, and then to win the league with with his team's rivals, you know, his fierce rivals, 
to, like I say, when I mentioned earlier on, uh, Ikra, who captained the first women's, uh, first women's team for Somalia. You know, she started from playing fields in, 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 in London, you know, in London. And, and, and she ended up, you know, that her journey as a human, as in a person, it just so happened to be through football. So I think that's the thing that we try and tie together. And we try and, and I think reminding you why you love football does come into it as well. So, you know, we don't want to veer, when you're saying that, the one that's come out most recently is about Chester City's uh, American owner, Terry Smith. But we want to remind, yeah, remind people about the about good times, about good things, about what football can do. I think that was the thing for the episode we did in the first series about Women's World Cup, which we did, we interviewed someone who had been involved in each of the seven Women's World Cups for the most recent one. So... But told just again, told human stories through football. What it was like for you know Michelle Akers to what it was like to Beck Smith. You know, two totally different different ends of the spectrum chronologically. But yeah, both with similar stories, but also different perspectives. So it those are the things that pin that together. And I think um, it's the thing I'm most proud of professionally in in my whole life. Giant. I've been incredibly lucky to do all manner of things fanzines, magazines, videos, you know, I've worked, uh, luckily enough, if you've watched anything on Sky Sports with the word greatest in the title, and, and it's either football's greatest players, teams, managers, I, I, I worked on them, which again, incredibly lucky to do so, but I think giant best distills for me, certainly, certainly the first six, certainly, because I think that, that more time just allows you to get more involved and more in more in depth, that distills everything about football for me, uh, and I think um, the fact that we won some New York, uh, New York Festival Radio Awards, alongside ESPN and the BBC, ESPN 30 for 30, we got, we got the same award as them. That, for me, was the, the pinnacle of my professional career, uh, uh, or up to this point, hopefully. Uh, hopefully there's more to come. But to be judged on something and alongside something that I had absorbed just purely as, as, as a sports fan and, a, and, you know, to be compared, to even speaking nominated alongside them was amazing. But to be judged to be the same as that was, was incredible and with the work that me, T and Owen and Alex at AD at Spotify have done is, is something that hopefully my daughter, who's uh, seven at the moment, not eight, <laughs> will rem- will be able to listen to in 20, 30 years' time and she'll be able to play her kids and say, your granddad did this. So, yeah, that that for me is 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 so far the pinnacle. Who knows what's going to happen? Who knows? We maybe do this in five years' time and things may have exploded uh and gone completely the other direction, or I might be, yeah, or maybe not. Maybe I'm doing the Hampton and Richmond Borough fanzine, but who knows? <laughs> we'll see. When your daughter does listen back, she'll be able to get the inside track on Hampton and Richmond Borough too. That must mean a lot to you. Yeah, and I took, I mentioned it at the, at the start, I took her to, uh, I always believed that I would take my child to a Yeovil Town game as their first game. Of course I did. No reason why I wouldn't have for 30, 30, 35 years of my life. But um, yeah, circumstances dictated that um, when she wanted to go to a football game, uh, it was Hampton-Richmond game. And, and and I'm not for a second expecting her to necessarily take on take on that that baton but, um, uh, and, and keep the, the flag flying. I would love it if she did, obviously. Um, but hopefully she absorbs and as she gets older and comes to more games and and as you know becomes less distracted by the amazing tuck shop and the bottles of cheap uh, cheap coke uh, that do attract her hopefully she'll enjoy football as i enjoyed football because that's the similarity i get hampton and richmond borough it's very much like what it was for me when i grew up watching yeovil town you could speak to the players after the game in the bar you could you know you could have a bit of banter with the linesman and you could have you know and a bit of you can and you knew the fans that you were sitting next to and sat next to or going to the middle of you know 
the upper end of the country. Those are the things that are still relevant and still applicable for Hampton and Richmond Borough that they were for Yeovil. And hopefully she'll she'll enjoy that and hopefully um, pick up that same affection and, and passion for it. But equally, if she doesn't, um, then it means I don't have to have to cut cart around the grounds and stuff like that but uh, and I can probably have my pint of my three pints of ale in peace but uh, hey we'll see what happens on that but uh, yeah uh, it's and again anyone listening to this please 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 go to a non-league game when you can and when it's safe to do so because it genuinely is different and it is hopefully we've all seen what football's like without supporters and without fans at a higher level Um, every single it's different for them they get supported by all manner of things and I, I say this full knowledge that Hampton and Richmond Borough have received money from the National Lottery to even start this season but a lot of clubs we've been fortunate in that case but obviously a lot of clubs haven't but every single penny you spend and every single that money you give to someone over the turnstile is invaluable and I've seen the other end of that and seen how much of a difference that makes. Well we'll leave it on that very important note Seb it's been a real pleasure thank you for joining me. Thank you very much and I know you've probably had loads more questions and I've waffled on and probably too much but yeah it's good to remind yourself why, um, yeah, why you love football. And again, I did not plan that before uh, before I did this uh, podcast. But yeah, that's where I've come back to at the end of it. And yeah, please check out Giant on Spotify. That's the last, very, very last plug. Giant on Spotify and have a listen. And if you like it, please tell your mates. Yeah, it's well worth it. And if you've enjoyed meeting Seb, there's plenty more where that came from. Don't forget to subscribe to the show if you haven't already. And leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Humans of Non-League is a Sphinx football production. Thanks for listening.